Hi, everyone. Welcome to the March 5th, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. The COVID vaccine rollout in Colorado has changed course once again. Last Friday, Governor Polis announced that people aged 60 to 64 would be promoted from phase two to phase 1B.3, making them eligible for vaccines as soon as today. Grocery store employees, agricultural workers, and people aged 16 to 64 with more than one high-risk condition will also be prioritized in phase 1B.3. The shift in priorities means other groups like restaurant workers who are expecting the vaccine starting this week will have to wait until the end of the month. Pat Calhoun from Westward, uh, you know, this feels like that line in front of a nightclub that you know your place in it, but there's going to be people who simply get in ahead of you, even if you didn't think that was going to happen. What do you think about the renewed structure and sometimes the confusing 1B, 3, 2 versus whatever phase we're in? How is it going? Well, first, I'm just glad that one year exactly after the first COVID case was found in Colorado, we actually have vaccines here because no one expected it to be that fast. And in fact, part of the speed, the speed is one of the reasons things have gotten confusing. All of a sudden, we have J&J &J now coming into this state. So you understand how Polis has shifted things. You know, the, the initial list, he definitely went with older people. What was it? Uh, 65 and over, 70 over and over, to start because that was where the COVID cases were so extreme. People who got it had the worst chances. Then educators. So you can see the shifting that's been done. This shift makes sense. He's moved it down a little bit in age, so 60-year-olds now can get, get appointments if they can, and that's still the challenge. But moving back restaurant workers was too bad because I know the restaurant workers were really looking forward to being able to continue to serve the public. But as the vaccines keep coming, it'll move a lot faster. No one thought we would be at this point a year ago. Six months ago, we didn't think we'd be at this point. It is bad when you see how people are abusing the system. Just as I came here, I heard about, you know, their community vaccination sites set up to re reach deprived communities, ethnic communities that might not otherwise get it. In Colorado Springs, churches that are supposed to be set aside for community vaccinations are suddenly have an influx of well-to-do white people signing up. So, Take your turn. It's all coming. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. I think in Colorado, it's natural for us to try to rank how we're doing. Unfortunately, in the United States, we have a lot of comparisons, 49 of them to be exact. How do you think Colorado is doing with these different changes and compared to some of our other fellow states? Well, we're about in the middle on the number of percentage of the population that's been vaccinated and we're about 21st on percent of doses delivered. So, you know, middle of the road. You know, Patty's point about people suddenly getting religion when they can get a vaccine. Uh, you know, back in the 1600s in the, the French uh, colony in, in Quebec uh, said to the Indians, well, we'll give you a gun if you become Catholic. And it, it did bring in a lot of converts to the faith. So, uh, so don't, don't, don't denigrate whatever it takes people to get into church. Uh, you know, we're now uh, coming up on the first anniversary of, of the... Uh, of 15 days to stop the spread, which was back at the time supposedly to avoid hospitals being overwhelmed, um, and was successful to some degree on that. Now turning into the Great Reset of, you know, we'll just have uh, unlimited executive power, the boots stamping on the jackboots stamping on the face of humanity uh, forever as they try to change global warming and everything else into a pretext for this. But the good, the good thing is Colorado is ninth lowest in fatalities per capita. You could say it's been good government, and, but you would also say at least one factor has been that Colorado has the lowest percentage of obese people uh, compared to any other state in obesity and its associated comorbidities like uh, diabetes and high blood pressure are highly associated with fatalities.
Natasha Gardner, freelance journalist, joins us remotely. Natasha, it's great to have you on the program. Uh, we see here that folks with one high-risk condition, even if they're over the age of 16, which is pretty young for the vaccine, they can get in line. But you have to have more than one. If you just have one, you're still waiting. How is Colorado doing when it comes to protecting its high-risk uh, uh, folks? Well, it changes on a pretty regular basis, it turns out. And, and you know, when this this whole pandemic started, I think like many people, I was checking news sites on a daily basis, looking at case counts and hospitalizations and just trying to track the numbers. And now I find myself doing something a little bit different. I'm going to the vaccine site and checking who's in which phase and when, because it has shuffled around a bit. So anyone who is um, questioning where they fit on this this long line outside the nightclub or, or outside the vaccine, seeing clinics in this this instance um, should really spend some time checking this out on a daily uh, basis because it might change um, and and it might change in a way that that benefits them so they really should stay on top of that in addition to that I got to give kudos to Coloradans and people across the country who have been helping people get vaccines to sign up to get into that line but also to develop the websites that are helping navigate the various from all the different pharmacies and find slots that are open for different Coloradans that's wonderful I think another thing that I'm thinking about as we're starting to see more and more of um, our community members get vaccinated is to sort of plan for the future, which is something I really haven't done since last March, and I'm looking forward to doing more of. But I think as on a personal level, maybe thinking about travel or things you do outside of your house, things you're going to do with family and friends. But I think we can apply that to the, the city level, the municipality level, to our state. What things happened during the pandemic that we didn't like? Which things do we need to prepare for better? Which things might we want to change and which things do we not want to go back to the way they are? So I think in these these in between weeks as we're waiting for more of our community to be safe and healthy, this is a good time for some intro, uh, some retrospection. Greg Moore, editor-in-chief at Deke Digital, also joins us remotely. Greg, it's great to have you back on the show. Uh, we have got a lot of different sites all over the state, uh, and I don't know if it's exacerbating or helping some of the urban-rural divide. I've heard people here in Denver, hey, it's a Safeway in Brighton or somewhere out in Lyman. It's a church in Carverstreet. It, it, it's all over the place. Uh, does that, is that exacerbating the problems that we have uh, between different folks in different communities? Yeah, in some ways it is, but but I think we need to resist um, the the idea that you know certain groups are more valuable than other groups. I don't think we really want to promote that kind of um, that kind of uh, separatism and division. Uh, we're almost near um, near near the end of the tunnel on this, and I, I just think we have to be patient. Uh, things are you know uneven, of course, but this is new territory for us. And um, I really think we need to focus on what the governor has been saying, that you know, we're going to have a new influx of vaccine. The J&J vaccine is really going to make it a lot easier to get help to our rural communities. But, you know, he's saying in two to three months, we're going to be back to a reasonable a sense of normal. And, and I would just say, hang on. Uh, let's make sure that we focus on learning the lessons of the last year. So that when the next pandemic comes, we we have a better sense of how to handle a rollout, how we how we handle the queue for treatment, how we get to underserved and minority and rural communities that have probably suffered under this distribution network. But this is all learning. This is all a learning experience for us. And and the one thing we know more than anything else, this is not the last time that we're going to encounter a pandemic of this type. 
An important decision in a lawsuit involving the Boulder Daily Camera and the University of Colorado was announced this week. The case began as an effort to obtain the records of CU's presidential candidates in 2019, and a district court ruled that failure to disclose the candidates was a violation of the Colorado Open Records Act. CU appealed the decision, and in a two-to-one ruling, the Court of Appeals determined the school was not required to release the records and that the original ruling was outside the district court's role. David, you're our esteemed attorney at the table. Uh, is this over legally? No, it can certainly be appealed to the Colorado Supreme Court and, and probably will, and they'll have the same challenges the, the Court of Appeals did. Um, and the Attorney General's office won the case on behalf of, of CU, representing its client vigorously, and represented it so vigorously that not only did they have an attorney representing CU, somebody else in the Attorney General's office wrote an amicus brief on behalf of in, in support of, of CU's position, and that's not illegal. You know, one law firm can write, lawyer one, one writes a brief for the party, and lawyer two writes a brief for somebody else as, as an amicus. Uh, but it is kind of tough when you're going up against the power of the state that they uh, pile on this way. And they were, uh, one of the opinions in the Court of Appeals criticized the Attorney General's office uh, for, in one of their briefs, they cited a dissenting opinion, which means it lost, as if it had actually been the majority opinion, uh, which was uh, rather misleading to the court. But the, the core issue is the Colorado Open Records Act, which is very badly written, according to the Court of Appeals, they make a persuasive case, says, what is a finalist? Well, the definition is somebody who is a member of the final group of applicants or candidates made public. So if CU doesn't make anybody public, then the majority of the two said, well, you know, that's a weird-looking statute, but we kind of got to follow what it literally says, is, you know, and, and there it is. The dissent said, well, but it says final group, and a group necessarily has to include more than one. So it's a contradictory, uh, badly written statute, and maybe the Colorado Supreme Court will uh, elucidate it more. We got a lot of great experience when it comes to the Open Records Act, and then we have three uh, different editors we can talk to. Natasha, we'll start with you. Uh, does this signal uh, some needed changes for Colorado Open Records Act? I certainly wouldn't be surprised if there were some changes. You know, I was reading through the ruling, and it starts to sound a little bit like a, a Jeopardy question, with the question being Mark Kennedy, and the, the the question, the Jeopardy part of it is who is a finalist, um, and that I think is is what's going to be determined. Like this is something the state legislature could take up. It looks like that's already happening in some extent, um, whether they're for limiting in this way or not. Um, but more importantly, I think it's this, this concern or a trend towards only presenting one finalist to the public, whether it's in this position or we've seen it in other positions around the state and in other communities. And I think people have a right to ask is when we are only putting forward one finalist, are we doing the best search possible? Are we serving our communities, these entities, these educational institutions in the ways that they should? And I think that's a question that should be taken up by the state legislature, but also just um, as individuals, is, is this what we want to see as we look for the best and brightest to lead some of these institutions. Greg, as another editor, is this more about open records or is it more about CU and how they handle their business? Uh, you know what? I think it's both. Um, you know, what happened in the CU case is just a continuation of what we've seen over the last decade, which is an, uh, an erosion of the public's access to how decisions are made, to public records, and to documents. Um, so this is not new. Um, and the farther up you go the, uh, in the ju judicial chain, 
I think you see greater and greater resistance to making access to public records uh, available to reporters, but not just reporters, but organizations and individuals who would really like to you know, pull back the curtain on, on, on government. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that um, all of those uh, finalists who have been considered for the CU job uh, should have been made available to the public. Um, I, I'm not sure I understand why there's such a lack of transparency, but what I can say is when you look at uh, what's happening on the federal level in particular, the newest justice to the U.S. Supreme Court just um, wrote a majority opinion, a 7-2 opinion, further restricting um, uh, the availability of records under the federal open uh, records law. So this is just part of a continuing trend that hopefully the general public and legislatures, state legislatures, will push back on. Because I, I, I think if we really care about good government, Access to how our decisions are made, access to documents and records, I think is critical. Patty Westward's been involved in more than a few Open Records Act uh, issues. What do you think about this one and the potential fallout? Well, I understand that people who are going for new jobs would rather not have their current employers know about it. Uh, you, th that's certainly the case with the CU thing. Right now, we have four different, the four largest school districts in Colorado are all looking for a new superintendent. And the problem becomes, sure, the, the finalists don't want their districts to know they're looking. But on the other hand, if you can't have access to those open records, you might not find out that there were sex harassment claims, that people were fired. I mean, we're finding that out right now, um, the search firm that Douglas County is using, and we were looking at open records on that, that that search firm has actually been fired from a couple different jobs just because They've recommended superintendent candidates who then it turns out when you finally get into open records, Wisconsin, for example, has a better rule, you find out that they did, they were reprimanded, they were punished, and in some cases fired from their previous jobs. So you do need that access. You need the clear light of day to make the best decisions. The Colorado legislature is in full swing, and a variety of bills made headlines this week. A bill that would expand liquor delivery to uh, for five years cleared committee, as did a bill that would ban new pet stores from selling puppies and kittens. Also, state Republican lawmakers introduced bills regarding voting rights and election reform, which are not expected to move forward. Natasha, we start with you on this one. Uh, from the various headlines from the leg legislature this week, uh, what caught your attention? Puppies and beer, obviously. <laughs> that seems to be Colorado's priorities. And I'm making light of that, but it's it's nice in these times to have a moment to sort of smile and think about that. Um, all of the the bills you mentioned are, are really interesting. And I think that it shows um, kudos to the Colorado legislature for tackling some big issues in a session where it was kind of unsure what they would be able to take on given um, the limitations, both of the pandemic, but also budget concerns. Um, and they really are trying to tackle some things. In a, um, addition to that, just want to call out two things for, for viewers to watch in coming weeks. Ranked choice voting is something you're going to become very, very familiar with. Keep an eye on that. And in addition to that, the Senate bill um, 21 which deals with um, more criminal justice reform, specifically relating to cash bail. This one um, just uh, passed through committee, and it's going to be a pretty robust debate as I think it continues on its journey, um, but will be an interesting one to watch. So there's going to be plenty to keep track of, plenty to, to distract us from any COVID news that we need right now, including bills about puppies and beer.
Uh, so, Greg, uh, beyond puppies and beer, are you getting a feel for uh, legislative priorities as we're seeing some of the work being done kind of in this the, the middle of the session, the meat of the session? What do you think? You know, I have I, I have to say I haven't been watching, uh, you know, in great detail uh, exactly what's been happening in the session. But I do think, you know, taking up um, some aspects of uh the best of what we've learned from the pandemic, I think we're going to see that continue to be a focus of the legislature, whether we're talking about, um, you know, access to the ballot or, you know, um, you know, changes and, um, um, you know, restaurant uh, regulations and particularly um, uh, liquor. Look, look I, I think there's some things that we, um, you know, made adjustments to that are going to be with us post pandemic. And certainly, the ability to get um, uh, a cup of wine or your favorite mixed drink when you order takeout from your favorite restaurant, I think that's something that's here to stay. And uh, I think there are going to be other um, you know, modifications that have been made over the, the course of this pandemic that are going to be a part of our lives going forward. And we're, we're going to be seeing some of that as we get into the second half of this legislative session. Pat, it almost feels that liquor delivery, that this was uh, one of the positive things to come out of a year in COVID and seems like a, stay, a, a change to here to stay. What do you think? Well, we're looking at liquor delivery, both and to go from restaurants. We might see last call. I don't think we're going to see it coming up at this session, but soon last call might move much later. That's one of the things. Also COVID related, the tenants rights that we're going to see a lot of controversial issues being batted around on what kind of eviction rules they have to be, what kind of rights tenants have. We're also seeing environmental issues come up, Suncor, for example. And the voting, our big controversy of last November, at least the most major voting bill that had come up has already been thrown out, which was to limit ma mail-in ballots, which have been so successful in Colorado and certainly were in November 2020. David, from what we've seen so far in the legislature, what seems to might make the biggest impact in Colorado? Oh, huge lot, many, all kinds of extremely destructive stuff coming up. So let's uh, let's focus on the positive, which was the, the liquor reform bill. Uh, and as a lot of witnesses testified, the, the ability to, to sell by, by takeout and delivery uh, really did save lots of restaurants and, and bars and, and thereby saved a lot of jobs. And there were some liquor store owners who testified against it and said, you're blurring the line between a liquor store and a restaurant. Uh, but I, I think it's not fair to help to try to help one type of business like liquor stores by harming its competitors. If you want beer or a cocktail, uh, you, you know, beer on tap or some kind of custom cocktail, you take out from a restaurant or a bar. If you want a six pack or a bottle of tequila, you go to the liquor store. And if you want all of those at once, then you need to volunteer for the Independence Institute and come to our staff meetings. <laughs> Somehow I saw that one coming. Well played, David. Governor, uh, Governor Polis ruffled more than a few feathers this week with a proclamation that March 20th will be Meat Out Day in Colorado. Uh, and the proclamation extolled the benefits of a plant-based diet, but also included references to possible health problems associated with eating meat. Weld County officials responded by announcing a meat-in day, extolling the benefits of a meat-based diet. Uh, Greg, we start with you on this one. Uh, it's, it's lighter and fair, but it does point out the, the rural divide in Colorado. Did uh, Polis make an unforced error here? Hey, you know, <laughs> what it shows is that the danger in, in, in doing, uh, you know, proclamations. I mean, you're, you're bound to sort of make somebody um, uh, unhappy. Look, uh, you know, agriculture is a big deal to, in, in Well County. And, you know, agriculture, um, 
beef and poultry products, uh, they account for somewhere in the neighborhood of $1.7 billion for that county. So that's not a joking matter when you, you know, you you sort of take a stance against against me. What I thought was nice is that one of the things we're starting to see is Polis has a sense of humor. And I, I love the fact that he said, hey, look, you know, during the pandemic, you know, I've been out grilling. Uh, I've learned a lot of different sort of techniques for, you know, cooking my beef. And, you know, um, you know, I cook a mean steak. And the idea that the, the Well County folks are talking about have uh, talked about having a meat in day, I think that helped put some uh, focus on the importance of, of uh, you know, agriculture. Look, I, I've been watching Yellowstone for um, like the past three seasons, and one of the things I've come away with uh, from there is that uh, they make the point all the time that you know America doesn't understand where their food come from, comes from, and they don't appreciate it. And this is sort of part of the continuum. I'm not so much um, thinking of it as a, a urban rule debate, but I do think uh, it's a teachable moment about where our food comes from, how important farming and ranching is in this country. And so, um, you know, looking at, rather than looking at it as a conflict, I kind of look at this as a, a educational moment. So I don't think it was a misstep. Uh, I, I think some people are taking it too seriously, but we should think a little bit harder about you know, who feeds us in this country, how our food is produced, uh, how much it means to our rural economies. And when you really get behind the, the, the snit here, you realize a $2 billion part of our economy is, um, is, is ranching and agricultural farming. So I, I think overall, it's been a good thing. Uh, Patty, a proclamation uh, technically means as much as the paper it's printed on, not much, but it's a significant issue in Colorado. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, I'm glad to know someone is watching Yellowstone for the educational value as opposed to looking at RIP like I've been. Uh, you know, I would like to see Governor Polis bring us a nice brisket, which he was bragging about, put it on this table next a week from Friday, the day before the meet-out day, so that we can all enjoy it. I want to know if when Weld County is having meet-in day, will they be in Wyoming, where they're talking about going anyway, or will they still be in Colorado? Uh, David, a proclamation that means nothing or uh, an example of the urban-rural divide? Uh, a proclamation uh, means a lot in terms of what people say about it. You know, February is Black History Month, and that's just a proclamation, but everybody thinks about it all the time. Uh, my grandfather was a corn and soybean farmer, so we were happy to make money from vegetarians. And he and his brothers also won the World's Championship uh, at the Seth Philadelphia World's Fair Sesquicentennial in 1926 for the best spotted Poland China boar and sow, uh, so we're pro-meat as well. Um, and I think it was unfortunate that the governor uh, chose to frame it in such a negative uh, way of being anti-meat uh, rather than pro-corn and soybean. Natasha, is there room at the Colorado table for everybody? Well, I guess this is the time where we fess up to our agricultural roots. I grew up in ranching and in agriculture country, too. So I'm really careful when I, I enter into these conversations. I just ask, can, can we have our beef and eat it, too? Can we have our vegetables and eat them, too? I, I don't think this has to be an either or. It is worth pointing out that this, this particular meat out um, sort of movement has been around since 1985. So it's not like this was something that came out of the blue, that all of a sudden um, this is the first time we're talking about uh, 
having a day where you maybe don't eat as much beef. But like I said, I, I love beef. I love vegetables. I think most Coloradans have an opinion about this and they're going to eat what they want at their dinner tables. And thankfully, that will help support um, both of those industries, hopefully the agricultural, um, more vegetable producing ones and our ranchers as well. Well, it's time for a very favorite part of the show, but we've been chatty this week, so it's time to speed it up. Disgrace of the week. Patty, please start. I am glad that Tay Anderson is about to become a father, but the way he announced the blessed event, getting everyone thinking he was going to run against Diana DeGette, was just plain silly. David. <laughs> uh, par for the course. Uh, State Senator Kerry Donovan wins the award for the worst bill introduced in the Colorado this legislature this year, and actually for a long time, to create a new uh, state commission to supervise Coloradans' speech and report on things they say on Instagram or YouTube or whatever uh, that are supposedly incorrect. Natasha, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. Well, I'm thankful to be living in Colorado uh, this week because of our our mask mandate. Um, certainly seeing the news out of Texas and Mississippi, that would make me feel uncomfortable and a little bit nervous. Um, and it's it's just strange to be in a time where what state you live in um, really matters uh, in the middle of a global pandemic. Greg, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. Uh, I'm going to give it to the middle school teacher in Purvis, Mississippi, who asked her class to pretend that they were uh, slaves and they were uh, to write a letter to their families in Africa describing what it was like living as a slave and living on a plantation and what their work life was like. Ridiculous. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? Denver Public Libraries, nine of the branches are reopening on the 9th. The libraries are a great institution in this city and we've missed them. David? Well, I, I got to be at least happy for the people who are Excel uh, shareholders because the company is now saying it's going to spend, take from the ratepayers, the consumers, an extra eight billion dollars uh, for its solar and wind schemes to replace uh, affordable and reliable natural gas, and that's going to be terrible for people who need reliable energy, uh, and terrible for people uh, who who depend on uh, electricity and heating. Uh, sometimes to stay alive, but it's going to be great for Excel shareholders that are dividends, so congratulations to you. Natasha, we go to you. I will second the opening of the Denver Public Libraries and also throw in on my daily walks. I'm noticing crocuses and tulips peeking out of the ground, so seeing the start of spring. And, uh, of course, uh, First Friday today and the month of photography, Westward has some great coverage on ways to enjoy all of that. Here, here. Greg, finish it up. Uh, I, I've got to go with the city making the, the decision to put a public restroom on the 16th Street Mall. I know what it's like going from business to business when you got to go to the bathroom. So having a state-of-the-art uh, bathroom facility around Curtis and 16th, I think is going to be a huge addition to the mall. And I will say something nice about all the new members to PBS 12 who are joining us during our March Pledge Drive. If you enjoy the show, uh, consider becoming a member so you can help continue it for another 29 seasons. For everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.